Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. It's Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. We begin with a topic that everybody is talking about, vaccine passports. They are not just controversial, they also very well may be illegal and unconstitutional. Will you need to show proof of vaccination to travel? And by the way, it's not just about planes. What about businesses, universities, sporting events? may start to implement digital proof of a vaccine. Already, by the way, the Miami Heat basketball team has opened up two sections of their arena to vaccinate people only. In other words, vaccinated people only in those sections. Folks, we're going down a very scary and dangerous road here. More on that in a moment. Now, there are certain states, by the way, who are saying no way to these vaccine passports. For example, Missouri Governor Mike Parson became the latest governor to come out publicly against them. Uh, Florida and Texas also in the no category. So where are you on vaccine passports? What would you do if they became reality in certain places? We want you to drop us an email at the water cooler at justthenews.com. Once again, the water cooler at justthenews.com. All right, also on today's show, Liberal Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer voicing serious concerns about liberals wanting to pack the court. We're gonna unpack what he had to say. And also on the show, how conservatives are hitting back at those liberal woke corporations who have come out against election integrity laws in Georgia and some other states that are pending. How are they doing it? Well, put it this way, money talks. Because guess what? Republicans who are in control of state legislatures have something called, hmm, the tax code to fight back with. We're going to look at that as well. But first, I want to bring on our first guest to talk about those scary vaccine passports and a few other topics. Joining me now, Mark Meckler, the interim CEO of Parler and president of the Convention of States Action. Uh, Mark, great to see you again, sir. Great to be with you. Uh, Mark, look, first off, these vaccine passports. Now, for now, the Biden administration says uh, they basically don't support the federal government involvement in all this. Uh, do, do, you believe, <laughs> do you believe that? No, I don't. And they talked about they don't intend to have a national registry, uh, registry or a digital database. I don't believe any of that talk. I believe that they're working with their Democratic counterparts in Democrat states I believe they intend to impose this. They're just getting some blowback from the American public, so they're a little bit on their heels. I think they're just revamping their plan, and I believe they're going to come back strong. Yeah, Mark, so what's the implication of these vaccine passports? What, what are we looking at here? There is a lot of people concerned about this. I, I'm just concerned, just from, I got to tell you, beyond the constitutional issues and the legal issues that I'd like you to address, I, I'm just concerned that here we are again in a divided country. Now we're going to do the VPs, the vaccinated people, and the UVPs, the unvaccinated people. I mean, what, th this is the last thing our country needs. Yeah, and I think if you want to sort of liken it to something in history, I want you to think back to maybe the East Bloc during the Cold War era, where you had to have your papers with you to travel. And can you imagine what that would be like traveling state to state? I travel a lot. 
having to go through the airports to show your papers, quote unquote, to show that you're vaccinated, to get into any state, let alone all states, into venues, into grocery stores even. It's really an outrageous infringement on our civil rights. Yeah, and so where are we going from here? Where do you think this, this doesn't just stop at travel, I'm assuming, right? I mean, this is like, uh, look at what the Miami Heat, as we talked about at the top of the show, are doing, where you're gonna have vaccinated sections and unvaccinated sections. This is insane, Mark. Yeah, I'm concerned about this, not only at the government level, but at the private sector level, where there are gonna be certain facilities you're no longer allowed to access. We do have governors pushing back against this. The, the premier among them would be Ron DeSantis from Florida, who has prohibited the use of vaccine passports in Florida completely. In other words, not in, in the private sector at all. In Texas, you have sort of what I would describe as a fake conservative order by our fake conservative Governor Abbott, where he said the government won't demand vaccine passports, but private citizens still can. Missouri has taken a stand against it. I think we're gonna see a lot more states around the country join on the ban against vaccine passports. Do you think we're also gonna start to see lawsuits crop up on this? Because I can't imagine this is gonna, I mean, this is gonna be a court fight ahead, would it not be? I think it can, and I think it should be. One of the fundamental rights we have in the United States is the right to travel freely, right. and that is considered a fundamental right. And this infringes on that fundamental right, and it does so, frankly, without any sort of compelling interest, not even a compelling interest test. We're at a point where it appears that we've reached herd immunity, or at least very close. An incredible number of people already vaccinated or had the virus already. So just ridiculous to impose on our constitutional rights this way. I do think it will be litigated, and I do think the government will lose this one. Mark, I want to ask you about Parler, obviously the interim CEO, that's what you are among many other hats that you wear. Uh, where is Parler exactly as it relates to getting back on, on Apple and, and the discussions with Tim Cook? I know Tim Cook recently said he's hoping to get Parler back on uh, Apple. He said, quote, in moderation, <laughs> whatever that means exactly. That kind of scared me when he said that. What, what's your take on what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've been pushing back in on generally is this idea of, quote, unquote, moderation. In other words, we don't actually moderate content in the sense that we control what people post or don't post. What we do is we have community guidelines and we strictly enforce those community guidelines. And part of the community guidelines is preventing violent behavior, preventing uh, uh, the fomenting of civil insurrection or incitement directly. Things that are illegal have never been allowed on Parler and they never will be allowed on Parler. And we're very careful about that stuff. We were before January 6th. And since, in fact, the evidence shows that we were working extensively with the FBI before January 6th, warning them about people who were posting uh, potential violence, potential incitement to violence. These are things that we've always been opposed to. And you have organizations like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, over 54% of charging documents in the January 6th cases name Facebook as the place where the planning was done. 13% Instagram, 13% Twitter, only 5% mentioned Parler. So what you've seen here is a political hit job to take Parler offline. It had nothing to do with reality. We will continue to work with Apple and we have been working productively with them towards getting back on the App Store. I'm hoping that happens shortly. Yeah, I was gonna say shortly, I was gonna ask for a timetable. Are we talking weeks, months? So what's the sense there, uh, Mark? You know, really, it's up to Tim Cook, to be honest with you, and and he is weighing in on this directly, and we have been working with their team. There's been a bunch of back and forth. Frankly, I expected it to happen by now. I'm a little bit surprised, but when I say shortly, it could be as soon as next couple of days or as long as they drag their feet for. Yeah. Is there a reason they might be dragging their feet on this? I'm not saying you're saying that, but could there, what, what's, the, what's the, the, the sticking point for them? Is there, is there one? 
I mean, there really isn't. It's been small technical issues here okay. recently. And uh, I, I really think right now it's just a matter of them making the decision whether they have the will to put Parler back online and to live up to what Tim Cook says, which is they try to get people on the App Store, not off the App Store. We agree with them on that. We agree more social media platforms are better than fewer social media platforms. So hopefully we see eye to eye and we'll be back on shortly. You know, big tech censorship and cancel culture and now these woke companies like uh, Delta and Coca-Cola, it just feels like it's all one big kit and caboodle of craziness, a wokeology, if you will. What's your message to these woke corporations like Delta and Coca-Cola and many others that are uh, clearly thinking they have a winning hand to play here, uh, but I'm just wondering if it's gonna backfire from uh, on them. Uh, we'll, we'll see. If if conservatives stick together on this. Yeah, I think it is going to backfire. Look, conservatives generally, we don't like the idea of boycotts. We believe in the free market. We think the product should stand on their own. But we also have come to the point now where we think that these companies should stay the heck out of politics and the social issues. I can tell you personally, I've always been against boycotts. I'm a lifetime Delta flyer. And I'm not flying Delta right now because I'm so frustrated with them. I wrote a letter to the CEO. I feel the same way about Major League Baseball. You know, burn all your gear. That's where we should be at right now. We should be done with these companies. Conservatives have much more consumer buying power than the left. Older voters tend to be more conservative voters. And we need to exercise that, uh, that consumer power, flex our muscles, and tell these companies, we're not asking them to be conservative, we're asking them to stay out of these issues. Well, that's interesting. Just to explore that more as we wrap up here, uh, because you say you're a lifelong Delta flyer, and uh, you know, so there's a, there's a cost associated with this. I mean, there, there's a stand you're taking, and basically what you're saying is, there is a line that has been crossed here, or what, what, what's the difference here compared to, because you're not for boycotts overall, but what's changed exactly? What's changed is so many of these companies are weighing in on issues and, and the issues, for example, in this case, the Georgia voting law, it's completely fabricated. The Georgia voting law actually primarily expands voting rights. It puts voters in a much better situation. I, I don't even believe in this stuff, by the way. I don't believe in this extended voting or this absentee voting, but it puts uh, as far as what Democrats would say, it would put them in a better situation than where they would be in Delaware or New Jersey or New York. So the issue is entirely fake. It's entirely intended to punish conservative people. And as long as these uh, industries or these companies support the punishment of conservatives or free thinking people, it's time that we stand and we push back and we punish these companies. Mark Beckler, really appreciate it. I didn't even get to convention of, the, of states action, which I wanna to talk to you about next time you're on because that is obviously a big, big part of, uh, of your life for many, many years. Thanks, Mark, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Mark Meckler. Uh, Fighting the good fight when it comes to big tech censorship and a whole lot more. And by the way, uh, let me just look. Oh, oh there, there it is in the Constitution. We the people. Uh, and that's really ultimately what this is all about. Uh, will we the people uh, lie down and take it? Or will we stand up and uh, have a voice and a say? And uh, oh, by the way, we have a voice and a say with the almighty dollar, our pocketbook. That's important. So something to consider as you kind of sift through all of these issues. When we come back, a Republican candidate for Senate in Ohio, Josh Mandel. He's also been censored. Back in a moment. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, look, uh, Rob Portman is uh, no longer going to be running for the Senate. Uh, that Senate seat that he has now in 2022, not going to happen. So there's a 
full-on uh, fight uh, ready to go in Ohio for that Senate seat. Uh, one of the candidates on the Republican side is Josh Mandeli, joins us now uh, via phone. This is like old school uh, with the phone. Josh, uh, great to have you here on the water cooler, sir. Thanks, David. Great to be on. Well, uh, look, I, I want to talk about the contours of the Senate race, but before we even get to that, let's talk about how you, uh, let's be honest, have been once again a victim. There's so many victims nowadays, a victim of big tech censorship. This happened a few weeks ago. Uh, right there, we're putting up a tweet now, but why don't you tell me a little bit about what Facebook has done to you and uh, Twitter and all, all, all the folks over there. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I got kicked off Twitter. Um, I was trying to hold Biden accountable for his failure at the border. And uh, I posted on Twitter a question, you know, do we think that more crimes will be committed by radical Muslim terrorists or Mexican gangs and cartels coming across the border, which I thought was a pretty reasonable, thoughtful question to ask. And the Twitter police kicked me off. And, uh, you know, they I don't even know what the Twitter law is. You know, last time I checked, we live in the United States of America. We have uh, sovereign laws in our country. And these uh, big tech executives who are really thugs in Silicon Valley are just trying to censor us conservatives. And so this past weekend, I got kicked off Facebook. So uh, what happened this weekend, I, uh, I after the uh, policeman at the Capitol was unfortunately murdered last week by the, uh, the guy from the Nation of Islam, from Farrakhan's group, mm -hmm. I, uh, I posted online and I asked the question of Facebook, why did they delete the profile of the Nation of Islam cop killer? Mm -hmm. And they kicked me off Facebook for asking that question. And David, I mean, this one's remarkable. It's like you're not even allowed to ask questions of these big tech companies. You know, it's like, you know, are, are we living in America or North Korea? I mean, this is just getting crazy. So we complained a, a bunch um, and made a lot of noise. Uh, Senator Hawley actually posted online about it, and we got the attention of, of Facebook. And uh, I, there's a guy there I know who's is a Marine. I was in the Marine Corps as well. And yeah. you know, I basically told him that I, I, how terrible I think this is to be silencing conservatives. He said he'd look into it. They came back to us, and they said that it, it was a quote-unquote enforcement error. Huh. And li listen, David, I mean, I appreciate this Marine buddy taking – you know, looking into it and everything, um, getting it reinstated. But listen, I, I find it highly suspicious that all these quote unquote enforcement errors keep happening to conservatives. Yeah. And the reality is these big tech companies are targeting people like me who believe that America was founded and grew strong on Judeo-Christian values, mm -hmm. not on radical Muslim values, not on atheism. Right. They're targeting people like me. You know, right. people like me who, who support the Trump America first agenda and people like me who believe in the freedom and, and, and liberty that uh, we celebrate in this country. Well, I was going to kind of get to a broader question about Judeo-Christian values in this country and Christians being under attack. It seems like if, if you're a Christian in this country and you're speaking for your values, uh, you're uh, public enemy number one in this uh, wokeology culture we live in. Yeah, the wokeology is a good way to put it. So men and women of faith throughout this nation are under attack and the secular left is working hand in glove with the democratic party and the media and hollywood and now like major league baseball and nba i mean they're all on the same team and they're trying to strip belief in god 
from all aspects of our life. They're trying to just water down the foundation of America. And my feeling, David, is we, we should not be watering down. We should be doubling down hmm. on the Judeo-Christian values on which this country was founded. And we should have God and faith in all aspects of our life, not just um, in places of worship and not just at the kitchen table, but in the classroom, at the water cooler, and everywhere we roam. Yeah, well, let me just say, I love the fact that you invoked the water cooler name, which uh, we appreciate here for sure. Uh, hey, Josh, I want to ask you a little bit about your campaign, especially as it relates to Donald Trump, because talk about doubling down. And that's exactly what Trump did. He said, look, I'm not playing, uh, I'm not playing games here. Uh, where are you in kind of that Trump orbit? What kind of conversations either have you had with him, uh, what you'd like to have with him going forward? Uh, because obviously his endorsement would be a game changer in the race. I'd be honored to earn President Trump's endorsement. I'm doing everything I can to earn his endorsement. You know, he knows that, you know, while all these establishment politicians here in Ohio were with Kasich to the bitter end in the presidential race, I was the first statewide official to support President Trump. You know, it, when he was running against Hillary Clinton and it was getting a little shaky near the end when the tapes came out, I yeah. stood by President Trump. And I, I stuck by him when all these other establishment Republicans are jumping ship. And so President Trump knows that I'm a warrior for his agenda and for his cause. He knows that I've had his back, and I'm, I'm very hopeful that he'll have mine. What's your sense, uh, or I shouldn't say what's your sense, but have you had conversations with him since you've gotten in the race uh, in terms of trying to make that pitch to him personally? I have spoken with him. You know, I don't want to talk about sure. private conversations on air, but I can tell you he's very well aware that I'm the I'm the Trump-like candidate in this race running against a bunch of establishment, squishy politicians. He's also aware that because of my strong pro-Trump message and because of my success being elected in Ohio twice as state treasurer, I'm like 30 points ahead of everyone else in the polls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he's aware that I'm a winner, I'm a fighter, and we're going to win this thing, win the primary, and then go on to beat whoever the Democrats put up in November. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, where, where are you in this race? Uh, you mentioned the polls, but uh, what about your competition? I've got about 30 seconds or so. Where, where do you stack up? Why, why are you different from, from them? I'm different for them because I'm doubling down on the Judeo-Christian values on which America was founded and grew strong. I'm loud and proud about it. I'm standing up for men and women of faith. I'm standing up for the Constitution, and I'm standing up for the freedom and liberty that is so unique here in America, where these other people who are running against me, David, they're just establishment politicians, go along, get along. They're more interested in being invited to cocktail parties than they are in standing up for the Constitution. And yeah. when I get to Washington as U.S. Senator, I'm going to make decisions with two documents in hand, the Bible and the Constitution. Well, boom. I believe you just dropped the mic. Hopefully you're still on mic. Josh Mandel dropping the mic here on the water cooler. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Good luck in the race. Thanks, David. All right. Uh, on the phone, hopefully uh, next time we'll get him on the show and he'll be uh, there live so you can see him in person. He does exist. I mean, it's not like he doesn't exist because it's just because he's on the phone back in a moment. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cool, everybody. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, when I say the word woke, I feel hip. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like at home, I'm like, oh, those woke companies. Uh, you know, my teenage daughter is like, oh, dad, you said woke. Yeah, so I'm cool. Uh, but it's actually serious business. Uh, and I want to get uh, talk more about those woke companies and what it means politically for both Republicans and Democrats with Nathan Gonzalez, uh, the uh, head of uh, Inside Elections, the head, <laughs> the head, uh, what the grand poobah <laughs> of Inside Elections. Nathan, you are the grand poobah. I've been called worse, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, look, you're up with uh, uh, <clears throat> a new article out there, actually some analysis by you, and this is what it says in roll call. It says, prepare for the anti-corporate summer and cycle. You say, attack, or it says attacking corporations is now a bipartisan affair. Why don't you take us through uh, some of this? Because this has serious implications for both parties. Yeah. So for the last two cycles, 2018 and 2020, Democrats have, have gotten a lot of mileage out of uh, running against corporations or specifically taking this no corporate money, no corporate PAC money, uh, no money from corporations, their political action committees, can't, Democratic candidates have been not only refusing it, but championing refusing it. And, and they've, you know, gained their fundraising has been has been crazy for the last four years. And I think that that trend is going to continue. The newer trend that we're seeing, though, is de is Republicans uh, being excited about being a populist party. You know, they believe that President Trump has uh, created this populist coalition, and they and they want to embrace it. And I think we're only going to see uh, uh, only going to see the anti sort of anti corporate rhetoric from the Republican side. Uh, we're only going to see it ramp up because they really see an opportunity. Uh, to to move forward as a party in this populist lane. Uh, where I think it gets challenging is that traditionally the Republican Party has been the party of business interests. And so I'm interested to see how far are Republicans willing to go. Uh, for example, uh, leader Mitch McConnell uh, the other day uh, talked about you know leftist corporations and, and kind of railing against corporations, but he said, but I'm not talking about political contributions. You know, basically, <laughs> he wants to rail against corporations and still accept their money to help him and his Republican colleagues, you know, win their races. So yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how this is going to end up. Well, yeah, I want to get to that in a moment because I'm sure Democrats will take advantage of that for sure. I, I want to read you what uh, Indiana Representative Jim Banks uh, wrote in a recent memo uh, to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he said this, President Trump gave the Republican Party a political gift and we're now the party supported by most working class voters. Kind of what you were talking about, Nathan. The question is whether Republicans reject that gift or unwrap it and permanently become the party of the working class. Back to that populist notion. Uh, so do you think this has uh, staying power here for Republicans? Can this uh, help them big time in, in the midterms? Well, this, this feeds into my broader question for the midterm election specifically is how much of the coalition that Republicans are looking at, how much of it is dependent on President Trump being on the ballot and how much of it is dependent on him pulling voters out when, when he's there? 
Or is it going to be a challenge to both have this populist coalition when he's not on the ballot or he's not president of the United States? I, I think that's a I think that's an open question. Uh, and, uh, you know, for Republicans, you know, how far again are they going to go? For example, uh, you know, we hear Republicans talking about woke corporations and all of that. But yet when Democrats and President Biden want to raise the corporate tax rate, Republicans are, you know, they'll say, no way, we're not we're not doing that. So, I, you know, Republicans, I don't I don't see a lot of teeth yet in them wanting to punish corporations beyond either press releases or boycotts. Uh, they, you know, they, a way to punish corporations is to raise the raise the tax rate. And I haven't seen an appetite on the Republican side for that. That, that is a very interesting point you make about the corporate tax rate. Because, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to do that. I mean, because, because they think there's a, a fiscal conservative principle at, at stake uh, as it relates to the corporate tax rate. But, but we are seeing at the state legislature level uh, in Georgia, and I'm, I'm assuming we'll see this in other states and possibly in Arizona and other places when these become law, these certain things become law, uh, the bills become law, excuse me, that uh, indeed they might fiddle with the tax code to punish these woke corporations. Do you see this as a trend, Nathan? Well, we're, we're probably about to find out in the next few weeks or months how many of those specialty um, specialty corporate bills there are, right? Like the, the Delta fuel tax or the Delta, the fuel bill that Republicans were threatening to remove, although they weren't uh, able to, uh, they didn't remove it. Uh, how many of those are around the country at the at the state level? I, I think we're about, to, we're about to find that out. But this is, you know, it's not only about Trump, you know, the Trump coalition, but this is a, this is a, a real clash between where some Republicans want the party to go uh, that is different from where the party has been, right? The, the low tax rates, that is that is the Republican Party we've known for for decades. Uh, but are they really willing to embrace the populist mantle, the anti-corporate mantle, by shifting on that? Uh, might depend on what the president decides to do. And and uh, you know, I yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Let's take Coca-Cola for instance, David. How how serious do you think President Trump is about a Coca-Cola ban after drinking you know Diet Coke for the last uh, 50 years? Uh, I, I'm not sure he's ready for a. Uh, a Coca-Cola boycott, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we had Mark Meckler on earlier, and he talked about being a Delta flyer his whole life, and and he's not into boycotts, and now he says he's not going to fly Delta anymore. So I, I just wonder if there's a line, if not with Donald Trump, uh, definitely a line that many conservatives across the country say, look, you know, we're, we're done. I mean, we're, we're checked out, but uh, Chris in the pudding. So, so what happens now uh, as it relates to Democrats? You know, I, I wonder if they can take advantage of this. Uh, as you were saying, Mitch McConnell saying one thing, uh, but um, has no problem, uh, you know, accepting those donations. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a good question. I think for now, Democrats are focused on doing their own job, right? I, I mean, they're in, they're in power. They realize the midterms are going to be a job performance review on how they've done for the first two years, and I think they they want to focus um, they want to focus their time they're focus their time on that. What'll be interesting at toward the end of of Congressman Banks' memo was talking about how Republicans need to be prepared to know how much corporate money. Democratic candidates have received. But, you know, at the beginning, I talked about how most vulnerable Democratic candidates and incumbents now don't take corporate PAC money. You know, that's the yeah. pledge that they took years ago. So I'm not sure how that works out in an, in an election when, you know, once when Republicans want to try to make hay of the corporate uh, the corporate money, the corporate PAC money, but Democrats, you know, aren't, aren't accepting it. 
Yeah, Nathan Gonzalez, appreciate your time. You are, and I think this is the official title, the Grand Poobah of Inside Elections. I hope that's okay. We can call you that on the air. I'll, I'll make up the business cards. <laughs> okay. Nathan Gonzalez, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, by the way, we should point out that, you know, Republicans will now look at what kind of dollars they're getting for the in their campaign coffers uh, from from corporations, uh, I think also there's a delineation here, you know, are the corporations uh, promoting kind of this wokeology or not? And I think that's going to have to be looked at as well. We're back to talk about the constitutionality of all of this in a moment. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Look, uh, the liberals have a lot of really, really liberal ideas. Uh, One of them is packing the courts. You've heard about that. We talked about that during the 2020 election. Uh, Well, uh, it's in the news again, uh, and that's because Justice Stephen Breyer on Tuesday uh, had a few things to say about the packing of the courts. Look at at this. This is from... um, uh, the Associated Press. Uh, Breyer on Tuesday said liberal ad- advocates of big changes at the Supreme Court, including expanding the number of justices, should think, quote, long and hard about what they're proposing. Politically driven change could diminish the trust Americans place in the court, Breyer said in the prepared text of a long speech he gave remotely Tuesday to Harvard Law School students, faculty, and alumni. So look, <laughs> folks, when Stephen Breyer, a liberal, is concerned about packing the court, Hello, warning bells. Does that not say something to you? Am I going to sing warning bells? I should sing it. No, I shouldn't. Trust me, I shouldn't sing it. Uh, Rick Green is joining us now, uh, the uh, Constitution coach, America's Constitution coach, founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Rick, always good to see you, sir. I I was waiting on you to say, danger, danger, Will Robinson. But uh, (laughs) I think that was his name. I don't know. That show's like 40 years, 50 years old. But anyway, yeah. Rick, you're dating yourself. You (laughs) (laughs) Danger, wait, that's... Yeah, go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, I think it's the first time in 30 years I've actually agreed with Stephen Breyer. I mean, look, uh, <laughs> like you said, this is, a, this is a li- one of the most liberal members of the court saying, uh, you know, packing the court is, is going to lose trust in the court. Um, listen, I, I think we have to talk about the real underlying problem is that the court continues to be doing things that it was never intended to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Hamilton told us in Federalist 78, we would never have to worry about our liberty from the court as long as it didn't act like the legislature or like the executive, both of which it's been doing for about 50 years now. So this this turmoil that we have in the country, every time somebody's going to be appointed to the Supreme Court, that would have been foreign to the founding fathers. They never thought that job would be that important. They're not supposed to make law. These are unelected, unaccountable lawyers in Washington, D.C. Five, just five out of the nine are making law for 330 million people. That's wrong, it's unconstitutional. 
We've allowed it to go on for too long, and that's the real underlying problem here. Yeah, for sure. You know what's interesting from a numbers perspective in the Constitution, right? There's no cap. There's no cap. That's right. Uh, so I, I don't know if you can explain a little bit about what the founders may have been thinking back then, because uh, there, we, we know that it didn't start out at nine Supreme Court justices. So, so where... So what was the thinking behind all of this? I mean, what did they want to, 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 have to do? They didn't want to see a packing of the court, it doesn't seem like, but, but they didn't cap it either. Yeah, so the, the number is somewhat irrelevant. I, I mean, they started with six originally. It went up to 10 at one point, back to nine. It was seven at one point. That kind of b bounced around for a while. It's been solid for, gosh, I guess almost uh, 100 years now. At, at nine, but again, the number is not as important as the job. Are they doing their constitutional role? Constitutionally, uh, I, I love the way uh, Congressman Steve King always said it. He said, constitutionally, we could reduce the federal judiciary to nothing more than Chief Justice John Roberts sitting at a card table with a candle. I mean, you could have one <laughs> Supreme Court justice and still be constitutional. Uh, but what we need to do is focus on what are they doing? Are they outside their boundaries? And the only way to get them back in the box where they belong is to exercise Article 5 in the Constitution through a convention of states, and the states tell the court, you're only allowed to do the things in Article 3 that the Constitution allows you to do, which is very simply to apply the law that the legislature makes to whatever facts are before you, or in rare circumstances, to rule on the constitutionality of a law. But right now, man, they tweak the law with these decisions. We don't mm -hmm. live under the Constitution. I know I'm the Constitution coach, and we've got Constitution coaches all over the country. We teach the Constitution every day in America. But unfortunately, we don't live under the Constitution. We live under the Constitution. We live under the, the law as made up by these judges. They get around their little kettle and their black robes. They throw a phrase in here and a phrase in there. They change it all the time. It's unstable. It's bad for America. We need to get back to the Constitution mm -hmm. written on paper as the founding fathers intended it, not what these Supreme Court justices say it should be. Yeah, the Constitution. You got to trademark that, FYI, Rick. You got to run down <laughs> to the trademark office and get that uh, all set. Hey, uh, all right, so uh, the Constitution and vaccine passports. Look, come on. I mean, is it me? Am I wrong? This feels unconstitutional. I, I don't now That's just a layman's interpretation. I don't know what's in the Constitution or what's not in the Constitution about this. Uh, it feels illegal. It feels unconstitutional. I want to get your take uh, about this. Yeah, let's just change a few letters. Instead of calling it a vaccine passport, let's call it vaccine papers. And just let that settle in your mouth for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Americans are going to have to present their papers to move from one place to another to get on an airplane, uh, to enter a state if you're New York or that's Illinois scary. or some of these that's other scary, It yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah, There's nothing in the Constitution that gives the government the power to do this. Absolutely not. Yeah, so tell me a little, a little bit more about that. So where are we heading on this? I mean, it seems like it's going to be a constitutional fight ahead. I mean, uh, th yeah. because th this doesn't just, we're not talking about travel. I mean, we're talking about travel. We're talking about businesses, universities, sporting events. We even said at the top of the show, the Miami Heat, the NBA team, now has two sections open for vaccinated people only. What, Rick, what in the world is going on in America? We have school districts that are separating the kids based on whether or not they wear a mask and putting the unmasked children, the families that are actually smart enough to understand this is child abuse to force a child to wear a mask all day long at school when they are no danger to anyone else, no danger to themselves. It's unbelievable. And so the parents that are smart enough to do that, their kids in some school districts are being put in special ed if they don't wear a mask. David, oh this God. is so... Bad. It's. I mean, the, the ramifications of this, uh, we can't even fathom where this goes in terms of the child abuse and the psychological damage of the kids. 
but let alone our freedoms. So it does, it definitely will not stop with COVID. This is a hill on which to die. If we allow the government to require a vaccine paper, your vaccine papers to move from one place to another, we are opening the door to outright Marxism in our culture. This has got to be stopped. Thank God for Ron DeSantis saying absolutely not in Florida. I got to give props to Greg Abbott. You know I have gone after yep. him on, on your show and others a lot. Give props where props are due. The dictator is becoming more benevolent. Uh, and he, too, is saying no vaccine passports in Texas. His is not as strong as DeSantis's, uh, but it might actually be the right balance because he's saying no government entity can do it and no business can do it that takes government money. Because there is a private property rights argument here that if it's my business, my property, you know, I should be able to hire and fire at will. I should be able to let people in that I want in and people that I don't. And for any reason whatsoever, I'm kind of a you know hardcore free marketer on that. But when you have something like this, where they're using these vaccine papers to control people, to separate people, and to create this social credit system yeah. that Europe is doing now, uh, incredibly dangerous. And we've really got to think about how far we're letting, going to let this go into our culture. Rick Green, founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Really appreciate you. I want to have you back on. We have you all, the, all the time to talk about the business aspect of this and the free market yeah. principles there. Rick, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. All right. Uh, yeah, and by the way, uh, someone came up to me the other day and said, uh, so you getting vaccinated? I'm like, hey, wait a minute. HIPAA laws, not that it's HIPAA laws, but it's none of your business. Well, why is everybody asking me my medical condition? Huh? Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. I dedicate this last sip to Mike Pence. <laughs> Were they dedicated to him? How can you dedicate a last sip? How do you dedicate a segment of a television show? Anyhow, the reason I say dedicate is because it's about Mike Pence. Uh, why don't we put this up on the screen there? Uh, Bloomberg saying this. Well, not Mike Bloomberg, but you know what I mean. Bloomberg News. Pence lines up allies nodding at possible 2024 campaign. He actually has a new group out called Advancing American Freedom. That is the name of a new uh, organization promoting traditional conservative values. And it's kind of a who's who. Uh, regarding conservatives that are going to be part of this group that Mike Pence is going to head up. For example, Kellyanne Conway is going to be there, Larry Kudlow, who is in the administration, uh, Jim DeMint, uh, and the list goes on. That's the former senator of South Carolina, Jim DeMint, um, who we've had on this program. So th there he is, Mike Pence, back in the news, hasn't done a big interview, hasn't done really any interviews at all. Matter of fact, he has not done one interview uh, since he uh, left office uh, with President Trump back in January. And uh, look, th this is the way, uh, at least the media is spinning it, that he could possibly launch a 2024 campaign. I'm very curious what you think out there. You know, we always love to put up the fan email, uh, the, uh, the water cooler. I had to think of the name of the email. The water cooler at justthenews.com. Let me know what you think about Mike Pence and his potential chances in 2024. Are you angry with him? I know President Trump was not happy with him. But let me give you some analysis on uh, from me, because it's me. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I'm not upset with Pence at all on that. Uh, I, I break with uh, MAGA Nation. I know there's a lot of folks in MAGA Nation uh, that were frustrated with Mike Pence because he didn't do uh, what they thought he could do on January 6th. I, I'm never, I was never of the belief uh, that he could actually stop the vote, stop the count and say no. I do believe he had an opportunity potentially to send it back to the state legislatures, which is eventually what Trump settled on and wanted him to do, and he didn't do it. I get that argument. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but look, Pence is an honorable guy. He's a good guy. And uh, boy, was he loyal uh, to this president for four years. I mean, uh, I'm going to say the C word, crap. I mean, Trump put a lot of crap 
uh, right in front of Pence that Pence had a maneuver, but Pence stayed loyal for four straight years. Uh, and I've been on record saying shame on Donald Trump uh, for, for putting Pence in that position because uh, many people think he's a traitor. My guess is you're going to send me emails and I'm sensing that a lot of you are going to not be Pence fans. But uh, I got to tell you, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that theory. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Talking about vaccine passports a lot today. We have a lot more news to get to. Uh, and joining me now uh, is Anna Perez, a Real America's Voice correspondent. Uh, Anna, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, I'm not going to censor you. Okay, thank you. Just so you know. <laughs> I but that. I will be over here just like, you could just like, anyhow. Any, any, anytime I need you to use it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I may, depending on what you say. So what, what, what's going on? What are you talking about? Well, yesterday, um, Kevin McCarthy actually requested a briefing from the FBI and the CIA mm -hmm. about all the border apprehensions that have been happening that have people who, have, who are on the FBI terrorist watch list, mm -hmm. um, which is actually a pretty prevalent issue right now. I mean, mm -hmm. it has been, but um, particularly in the last few days, we've seen apprehensions. There are actually two uh, men from Yemen who were apprehended at the border who are on the FBI terrorist watch list. Mm -hmm. And the story gets kind of interesting because the CBP actually scrubbed the press release that they posted about them. <laughs> and then a spokesperson came out and said, you know, we scrubbed this press release because it posed national security issues, which of course, you know, poses a lot of questions. Number one, mm -hmm. why are we having so many transparency issues under the Biden administration right. as far as who they're apprehending? Um, which I think is, you know, pretty much why McCarthy really wants this briefing. Mm -hmm. um, we also, he invited Pelosi, he invited Chuck Schumer, he invited Kamala Harris to be a part of this briefing as well, as he feels um, that Kamala Harris, along with many Americans, that she hasn't really been a part of this, the border issues. She's been heading up the... Right. <laughs> Where is she? Yeah. We haven't seen her, by the way, on a separate note, I mean, we haven't seen her once. Has she even been down to the border since she was? I don't think so. Is she even at the White House? We don't know. No, we don't know. We is don't know Biden at the White House yeah. is the question. <laughs> All right, so so McCarthy wants this this list, and so right. uh, is he going to get it? Do we know what's going to happen? Or? Well, we don't know yet. We don't yeah. know what the future is. We're hoping, I mean, my concern, I would. Yeah. I think that most Americans would like to hear from Kamala Harris, like I said. You know, yes. she obviously is the one who has been put in charge of this. At this point, I don't know who's really handling it or if anyone is. Um, you know, we've been hearing a lot about these apprehensions and, you know, what else is happening behind the scenes that we're not hearing about? You know, That's we right. have, we know those two men from Yemen were apprehended that were on the FBI terrorism watch list, but they're not the only ones. Right. So, you know, we need more information on this. We deserve more information on this as the American people. So, you know, hopefully we'll be hearing from them soon. Yeah, and I'm sure the mainstream media has got to be on top of that, right? Of course, you know, the mainstream media. <laughs> Is that your go-to move? You're like, yeah, oh, crap. I didn't know that that was, I've done that before. But. That's pretty, no, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for Don Lemon to do an investigative right. report on that. Yeah, I'm looking forward serious to Serious journalism. Yes, yeah, serious, that's right. All right, Anna, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, all right. Uh, by the way, uh, tomorrow on the show, Pastor Brian Gibson. And by the way, it's Madison's father's birthday today. Happy birthday, Sam Foglio. See you tomorrow. <laughs>